chapters eleven through fourteen of book four of on the parts of animals by aristotle translated by william ogle this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards chapter eleven we have now done with such sanguineous animals as live on land and bring forth their young alive and having dealt with all their main kinds we may pass on to such sanguineous animals as are oviparous of these some have four feet while others have none the latter form a single genus namely the serpents and why these are apodous has been already explained in the dissertation on animal progression irrespective of this absence of feet serpents resemble the oviparous quadrupeds in their conformation in all these animals there is a head with its component parts its presence being determined by the same causes as obtain in the case of other sanguineous animals and in all with the single exception of the river crocodile there is a tongue inside the mouth in this one exception there would seem to be no actual tongue but merely a space left vacant for it the reason is that a crocodile is in a way a land animal and a water animal combined in its character of land animal it has a space for a tongue but in its character of water animal it is without the tongue itself for in fishes as has already been mentioned there is either no appearance of a tongue at all unless the mouth be stretched open very widely indeed or if there be a tongue it is indistinctly separated from the rest of the mouth the reason for this is that a tongue would be of but little service to such animals seeing that they are unable to chew their food or to taste it before swallowing the pleasurable sensations they derive from it being limited to the act of deglutition for it is in their passage down the gullet that solid edibles cause enjoyment while it is by the tongue that the savour of fluids is perceived thus it is during deglutition that the oiliness the heat and other such qualities of food are recognized and in fact the satisfaction from solid edibles and dainties in general is derived almost exclusively from the dilation of the esophagus during deglutition this pleasurable sensation then belongs to all sanguineous animals viviparous or not alike but while the rest have in addition the sensations of taste tongueless animals have no other satisfaction than it what has now been said explains why intemperance as regards drinks and savoury fluids does not go hand in hand with intemperance as regards eating and solid relishes in some oviparous quadrupeds namely in lizards the tongue is bifid as also it is in serpents and its terminal divisions are of hair-like fineness as has already been described seals also have a forked tongue 
this it is which accounts for all these animals being so fond of dainty food the teeth in these oviparous quadrupeds are of the sharp interfitting kind as also are the teeth of fishes the organs of all the senses are present and these resemble those of other animals thus there are nostrils for smell eyes for vision and ears for hearing the latter organs however do not project from the sides of the head but consist simply of the duct as also is the case in birds this is due in both cases to the hardness of the integument birds having their bodies covered with feathers and these oviparous quadrupeds with horny plates these plates are equivalent to scales but of a harder character this is very manifest in tortoises and river crocodiles and also in the large serpents for so hard are they in these animals as to become even stronger than the bones these animals have no upper eyelid but close the eye with the lower lid in this they resemble birds and the reason of the peculiarity is the same as was assigned in their case among birds there are some that can not only thus close the eye but can also blink by means of a membrane which comes from its inner corner but none of the oviparous quadrupeds blink in this manner for their eyes are harder than those of birds the reason for this is that sharp-sightedness is of very considerable service to birds flying as they do in the air whereas it would be of comparatively small use to the oviparous quadrupeds seeing that they all live in holes of the two separate portions which constitute the hand namely the upper part and the lower jaw the latter in man and in the viviparous quadrupeds moves not only upwards and downwards but also from side to side while in fishes and birds and oviparous quadrupeds the only movement is up and down the reason is that this latter movement is the one required in biting and dividing food while the lateral movement serves to reduce substances to a pulp to such animals therefore as have grinder teeth this lateral motion is of service but to those animals that have no grinders it would be quite useless and they are therefore invariably without it for nature never makes anything that is superfluous while in all other animals it is the lower jaw that is movable in the river crocodile it is exceptionally the upper one this is because the feet in this creature are so excessively small as to be perfectly useless for seizing and holding prey on which account nature has given it a mouth that can serve for these purposes in their stead for clearly that direction of motion which will give the greater force to a blow will be the more serviceable one in holding or in seizing prey and a blow from above is always more forcible than one from below seeing then that both the prehension and the mastication of food are offices of the mouth and that the former of these two is the more essential in an animal that has neither hands nor suitably formed feet 
these crocodiles will derive greater benefit from a motion of the upper jaw downwards than from a motion of the lower jaw upwards. The same considerations explain why crabs move only the upper division of each claw, and not the lower, for their claws are substitutes for hands, and so require to be suitable for the prehension of food, and not for its comminution. For such comminution and mastication is the office of teeth. In crabs, then, and in such other animals as are able to seize their food in a leisurely manner, and are not forced by being constantly in the water to perform this office with the mouth, the two functions are assigned to different parts prehension to the hands or feet, the division or mastication of food to the mouth. But in crocodiles the mouth has been so framed by nature as to serve both purposes, the jaws being made to move in the manner just described. All these animals have a neck, which is the necessary consequence of their having a lung, for the windpipe by which the air is admitted to the lung is of some length. If, however, the definition of a neck be correct, which calls it the portion between the head and the shoulders, a serpent can scarcely be said with the same right as the rest of these animals to have a neck, but only to have something analogous to that part of the body. It is a peculiarity of serpents, as compared with other animals allied to them, that they are able to turn their head backwards without stirring the rest of the body. The reason of this is that a serpent, like an insect, has a body that admits of being curled up, its vertebrae being cartilaginous and easily bent. The faculty in question belongs then to serpents simply as a necessary consequence of this character of their vertebrae, but at the same time it has a final cause, for it tells to their advantage by enabling them to guard against attacks from behind, for their body, owing to its length and its want of feet, is ill-suited for turning round and protecting the hinder parts, and merely to lift the head without the power of turning it round would be of no use whatsoever. The ovipara with which we are dealing have, moreover, a part which corresponds to the breast, but neither here nor elsewhere in their body have they any mammae, as neither has any bird or fish. This is a consequence of their having no milk, for a mamma is a receptacle for milk, and, as it were, a vessel to contain it. This absence of milk is not peculiar to these animals, but is common to all such as are not internally viviparous. For all such produce eggs, and the nutriment which corresponds to the milk is in them formed in the egg. Of all this, however, a clearer account will be given in the treatise on generation and development. As to the mode in which the joints bend, a general account in which all animals are considered has already been given in the dissertation on progression. So also the reasons for the presence or absence of a tail have been already stated at large. It suffices therefore to say that these animals always have a tail of some sort, though the size which it attains varies considerably. 
of all the ovipara that live on land there is none so lean as the chameleon for there is none that has so little blood the explanation of this is to be found in the psychical temperament of the creature for it is of a timid nature as the frequent changes it undergoes in its outward aspect testify but fear is a refrigeration and results from deficiency of natural heat and scantiness of blood we have now done with the sanguineous animals both such as are quadrupeds and such as are apodous and have stated with sufficient completeness what external parts they possess and for what reasons they have them chapter twelve the differences of birds compared one with another are differences of magnitude and of the greater or smaller development of parts thus some have long legs others short legs some have a broad tongue others a narrow tongue and so on with the other parts there are very few of their parts that present any greater differences than these taking birds by themselves but when we compare birds with other animals we find the parts differing not merely in relative size but in form thus birds are invariably feathered and this is a peculiarity which is characteristic of them for while other animals are some hairy some scaly some covered with scaly plates birds alone are feathered insects it is true are also feathered but the feathers of a bird are split and different in kind from the undivided feathers of an insect for the bird's feather is barbed while the insect's is not the bird's feather has a shaft the insect's has none a second strange peculiarity which distinguishes birds from all other animals is their beak for as in elephants the nostril serves in place of hands and as in some insects the tongue serves in place of mouth so in birds there is a bony beak which serves in place of teeth and lips their organs of sense have already been considered all birds have a neck extending from the body and the purpose of this neck is the same as in such other animals as have one this neck in some birds is long in others short its length as a general rule being pretty nearly determined by that of the legs for long-legged birds have a long neck short-legged birds a short one to which rule however the web-footed birds form an exception for to a bird perched up on long legs a short neck would be of no use whatsoever in collecting food from the ground and equally useless would be a long neck if the legs were short such birds again as are carnivorous would find length in this part interfere greatly with their habits of life for a long neck is a weak one and it is on their superior strength that carnivorous birds depend for their subsistence no bird therefore that has talons ever has an elongated neck in web-footed birds however and in those other birds that seem to belong to the same genus 
inasmuch as their toes though actually separate are yet flattened and expanded into lobes the neck is elongated so as to be suitable for collecting food from the water while at the same time the legs are short so as to serve in swimming the beaks of birds as their feet vary with their modes of life for in some the beak is straight in others crooked straight in those whose food requires that form crooked in those that to live on flesh for a crooked beak is an advantage in fighting and carnivorous birds must of course get their food from the bodies of other animals and in most cases by violence in such birds again as live in marshes and are herbivorous the beak is broad this form being best suited for digging and cropping and for pulling up plants in some of these marsh birds however the beak is elongated as also is the neck the reason for this being that the bird gets its food from some depth below the surface for most birds that have this conformation and most of those that are either actually web-footed or web-footed in the partial way already mentioned live by preying on some of the small animals that are to be found in water in these the neck acts the part of a fishing rod the beak representing the line and hook the upper and under sides of the body that is of what in quadrupeds is called the trunk present in birds one unbroken surface for there are no arms nor forelegs attached to it but in their stead wings which are a distinctive peculiarity of birds and as these wings are substitutes for arms their terminal segments lie on the back in the place of a shoulder blade the legs are two in number as in man not however as in man bent outwards but bent inwards like the hind legs of a quadruped the wings are bent like the forelegs of a quadruped having their convexity turned outwards that the feet should be two in number is a matter of necessity for a bird is essentially a sanguineous animal and at the same time essentially a winged animal and no sanguineous animal has more than four points for motion in birds then as in those other sanguineous animals that live and move upon the ground the limbs attached to the trunk are four in number but while in all the rest these four limbs consist of a pair of arms and a pair of legs or of four legs as in quadrupeds in birds alone the arms or forelegs are replaced by a pair of wings and this is their distinctive character for it is of the essence of a bird that it shall be able to fly and it is by the extension of wings that this is made possible of all arrangements then the only possible and so the necessary one is that birds shall have two feet for this with the wings will give them four points for motion the breast in all birds is sharp-edged and fleshy the sharp edge is of advantage in flight for broad surfaces move with considerable difficulty owing to the large quantity of air which they have to displace 
the fleshy character acts as a protection to the breast which owing to its form would be very weak were it not amply covered below the breast lies the belly extending as in quadrupeds and in man to the vent and to the place where the legs are jointed to the trunk such then are the parts which lie between the wings and the legs birds like all other animals whether produced viviparously or from eggs have an umbilical cord during their development but when the bird has attained to fuller growth no signs of this remain visible the explanation of this will be set forth in the treatise on generation and development but amounts to this that in birds the umbilical cord unites with the intestine and is not a portion of the vascular system as is the case in the vivipara some birds again are well adapted for flight their wings being large and strong such for instance are those that have talons and live on flesh for their mode of life renders the power of flight a necessity and it is on this account that their feathers are so abundant and their wings so large besides these however there are also other genera of birds that can fly well all those for example that depend on speed for security and all those again that are of migratory habits on the other hand some kinds of birds have heavy bodies and are not constructed for flight these are birds that are frugivorous and live on the ground or that are able to swim and gain their livelihood in watery places in those that have talons the body when stripped of its feathers and wings is small for the nutriment is consumed in the production of these weapons and defensive appliances whereas in birds that do not fly the contrary obtains and the body is bulky and so of heavy weight in some of these heavy birds the legs are furnished with what are called spurs which replace the wings as a means of defence spurs and talons never coexist in the same bird for nature never makes anything superfluous and if a bird can fly and has talons it has no use for spurs for these are weapons for fighting on the ground and on this account are an appanage of certain heavy-bodied birds these latter again would find the possession of talons not only useless but actually injurious for the claws would stick into the ground and interfere with progression this is the reason why all birds with talons walk so badly and why they never settle upon rocks for the character of their claws is ill-suited for either action all this is the necessary consequence of the process of development for the earthy matter in the body issues from it and is converted into some or other useful kind of weapon that which flows upwards gives hardness or size to the beak and should any flow downwards it either forms spurs upon the legs or gives size and strength to the talons but it does not at one and the same time produce both these results one in the legs the other in the claws for such a dispersion of this residual matter would destroy all its efficacy 
in other birds this earthy residue furnishes the legs with the material for their elongation or sometimes in place of this fills up the interspaces between the toes thus it is simply a matter of necessity that such birds as swim shall either be actually web-footed or if not so shall at any rate have a kind of broad blade-like margin running along the whole length of each distinct toe the forms then of these feet are simply the necessary results of the causes that have been mentioned yet at the same time they are intended for the animal's advantage for they are in harmony with the mode of life of these birds who living on the water where their wings are useless require that their feet shall be such as to serve in swimming for these feet are so developed as to resemble the broad-bladed oars of a boat or the fins of a fish and the destruction of the foot-web has precisely the same effect as the destruction of the fin that is to say it puts an end to all power of swimming in some birds the legs are very long the cause of this being that they inhabit marshes i say the cause because nature makes the organs for the function and not the function for the organs it is then because these birds are not meant for swimming that their feet are unwebbed and it is because they live on ground that gives way under the foot that their legs and toes are elongated and that these latter in most of them have an extra number of joints again seeing that all birds are made of the same substance and yet are not all constructed alike to fly the materials which in some are expended on organs of flight can in others be diverted to different purposes and in these birds the nutriment which would otherwise go to form the tail feathers is used in increasing the dimensions of the legs this is the reason why these birds when they fly make use of their legs as a tail stretching them out behind and so rendering them serviceable whereas in any other position they would be simply in the way in other birds where the legs are short these are held close against the belly during flight in some cases this is merely to keep the feet out of the way but in birds that have talons the position has a further purpose being the one best suited for rapine birds that have a long and a thick neck keep it stretched out during flight but those whose neck though long is slender fly with it coiled up for in this position it is protected and less likely to get broken should the bird fly against any obstacle in all birds there is an ischium but of such length that it would scarcely be taken for an ischium but rather for a second thigh bone for it extends as far as to the middle of the belly the reason for this is that the bird is a biped and yet is unable to stand erect for if its ischium extended but a short way from the fundament and then immediately came the leg as is the case in man and in quadrupeds the bird would be unable to stand upright at all for while man stands erect 
and while quadrupeds have their heavy bodies propped up in front by the four legs birds can neither stand erect owing to their dwarf-like shape nor have anterior legs to prop them up these legs being replaced by wings as a remedy for this nature has given them a long ischium and brought it to the centre of the body fixing it firmly and under this central point she has placed the legs that the weight on either side may be equally balanced and standing or progression rendered possible such then is the reason why a bird though it is a biped does not stand erect why its legs are destitute of flesh has also already been stated for the reasons are the same as in the case of quadrupeds in all birds alike whether web-footed or not the number of toes in each foot is four for the libyan ostrich may be disregarded for the present and its cloven hoof and other discrepancies of structure as compared with the tribe of birds will be considered farther on of these four toes three are in front while the fourth points backwards serving as a heel to give steadiness in the long-legged birds this fourth toe is much shorter than the others as is the case also with the cracks in no bird is the number of toes more than four the arrangement of the toes is such as has been described in all birds with one exception this exception is the wryneck here two of the toes are in front the other two behind and the reason for this is that the body of the wryneck is not inclined forwards so much as that of other birds all birds have testicles but they are inside the body the reason for this will be given in the treatise on the generation and development of animals chapter thirteen thus then are fashioned the parts of birds but in fishes a still further stunting has occurred in the external parts for here for reasons already given there are neither arms nor legs nor wings the whole body from head to tail presenting one unbroken surface this tail differs in different fishes in some having a consistency similar to that of the body while in others namely in some of the flat kinds it is spinous and elongated because the material which should have gone to the tail has been diverted thence and used to increase the breadth of the body such for instance is the case with the torpedoes the trigons and whatever other selachia there may be of like nature in such fishes then the tail is spinous and long while in some others it is short and fleshy for the very same reason which makes it spinous and long in the torpedo for to be short and fleshy comes to exactly the same thing as to be long and less amply furnished with flesh what has occurred in the fishing frog is exactly the reverse of what has occurred in the other instances just given for here the anterior and broad part of the body is destitute of flesh 
and so all the fleshy substance which has been thence diverted has been placed by nature in the tail and hinder portion of the body in fishes there are no limbs attached to the body for in accordance with their essential constitution they are swimming animals and nature never makes anything superfluous or void of use now seeing that fishes are essentially sanguineous animals they must have four points of motion and seeing that they are meant for swimming these must be fins and not feet for feet are attached to the body that they may be of use in walking on dry ground moreover it is impossible for fishes that are sanguineous animals to have four fins and also at the same time to have feet or in fact any other kind of limb tadpoles it is true though they have gills have feet but then they have no fins but merely have their tail flattened out and loose in texture fishes unless like the batus and the trigon they are broad and flat have four fins two on the upper and two on the under aspect of the body and no fish ever has more than these for if it had it would be an exsanguineous animal the upper pair of fins is present in nearly all fishes but not so the under pair for these are wanting in some of those fishes that have long thick bodies such as the eel the conger and the cestrius which is found in the lake at siphi when the body is still more elongated and resembles that of a serpent rather than that of a fish as is the case in the smarina there are absolutely no fins at all and locomotion is effected by the flexures of the body the water being put to the same use by these fishes as is the ground by serpents for in fact serpents swim in water exactly in the same way as they glide on the ground the reason for these serpent-like fishes being without fins is precisely the same as that which causes serpents to be without feet and what this is has been already stated in the dissertation on the progression and the motion of animals the reason was this if the points of motion were four motion would be effected under difficulties for either the two pairs of fins would be near each other in which case motion would scarcely be possible or they would be at a very considerable distance apart in which case the long interval between them would be just as great an evil on the other hand to have more than four such motor points is out of the question for that would convert the fishes into exsanguineous animals a similar explanation applies to the case of those fishes that have only two fins for here again the body is of great length and like that of a serpent and its undulations do the office of the two missing fins it is owing to this that such fishes can even crawl on dry ground and can live there for a considerable time and do not like other fishes begin to gasp the moment they are taken out of the water and the less so the nearer their nature conforms to that of land animals in such fishes as have but two fins it is the upper pair that is present 
excepting when the flat broad shape of the body prevents this these fins moreover in such cases are placed at the head because in this region there is no elongation which might serve in the absence of fins as a means of locomotion whereas in the direction of the tail there is a considerable lengthening out in fishes of this conformation as for the body and the like they use the marginal parts of their flattened bodies in place of fins for swimming in the torpedo and the fishing frog the breadth and flatness of the anterior part of the body is not so great as to render locomotion by fins impossible it necessitates however the displacement of the upper pair to a point further back and the advancement of the under pair to the head at the same time to compensate for this advancement these lower fins are reduced in size so as to be smaller than the upper ones in the torpedo the two upper fins are placed on the tail and the fish uses the broad expansion of its body to supply their place each lateral half of its circumference serving the office of a fin the hand with its several parts as also the organs of sense have already come under consideration there is one peculiarity which distinguishes fishes from all other sanguineous animals namely the possession of gills why they have these organs has been explained in the treatise on respiration these gills are in most fishes covered by opercula but in the selachia owing to the skeleton being cartilaginous there are no such coverings for an operculum requires fishbone for its formation and in other fishes the skeleton is made of this substance whereas in the selachia it is invariably formed of cartilage again while the motions of bony fishes are rapid those of the selachia are but sluggish owing to the absence of bone and of sinew but an operculum requires rapidity of motion seeing that the office of the gills is to minister as it were to expiration for this reason in selachia the branchial orifices themselves effect their own closure and thus there is no need for an operculum to ensure its taking place with due rapidity in some fishes the gills are numerous in others few in number in some again they are double in others single the last gill in most cases is single for a detailed account of all this reference must be made to that part of the treatises on anatomy which relates to fishes and to the book of researches concerning animals it is the abundance or the deficiency of the cardiac heat which determines the numerical abundance or deficiency of the gills for the greater an animal's heat the more rapid and the more forcible does it require the branchial movement to be and numerous and double gills act with more force and rapidity than few and single ones thus too it is that some fishes that have but few gills and those of comparatively small efficacy can live out of water for a considerable time for in them there is no great demand for refrigeration such for example 
are the eel and all other fishes of serpent-like form. Fishes also present diversities as regards the mouth. In some this is placed in front, at the very extremity of the body, while in others, as the dolphin and such fishes as resemble the selachia, it is placed on the under surface, so that these fishes have to turn on their backs in order to take their food. The purpose of nature in this was apparently not merely to provide a means of salvation for other animals, by allowing them opportunity of escape during the time lost in the act of turning, for all the fishes with this kind of mouth prey on living animals, but also to prevent these fishes from giving way too much to their gluttonous ravening after food. For had they been able to seize their prey more easily than they do, they would soon have perished from over-repletion. An additional reason for placing their mouth on the under-surface is that the projecting extremity of the head is round and small, so that a mouth, if placed there, could not possibly open widely. In such fishes as have the mouth placed at the anterior extremity, there are differences in the extent to which that orifice can open. In those that are carnivorous, such as the fishes with sharp interfitting teeth, whose strength lies in their mouth, this orifice can gape widely, whereas it is placed at the point of a small tapering snout in all such as are not carnivorous. The skin is in some fishes covered with scales, a scale being a shiny film which, owing to its thinness, becomes detached from the surface of the body. In others it is rough, as, for instance, in the rhine, the batus, and the leg. In others again, but in very few, the skin is smooth. The selachia have no scales, but a rough skin. This is explained by their cartilaginous skeleton, for the earthy material which has been thence diverted is expended by nature upon the skin. No fish has testicles, either externally or internally, as indeed have no apodous animals, among which of course are included the serpents. One and the same orifice serves both for the excrement and for the generative secretions, as is the case also in all other oviparous animals, the quadrupeds, as well as the rest, inasmuch as they have no urinary bladder and form no fluid excretion. Such, then, are the characters which distinguish fishes from all other animals. But dolphins and whales and all such cetacea are without gills, and, having a lung, are provided with a blowhole. By this they discharge the sea-water which has been taken into the mouth. For, feeding as they do in the water, they cannot but let this fluid enter into their mouth, and, having let it in, they must of necessity let it out again. This they cannot do by the aid of gills, for the use of gills, as has been explained in the treatise on respiration, is limited to such animals as do not breathe, so that no animal can possibly possess gills and at the same time be a respiratory animal. In order, therefore, that these cetacea may discharge the water, 
they are provided with a blowhole. This is placed in front of the brain, for if placed behind, it would have cut off the brain from the spine. The reason for these animals having a lung and breathing is that their large size demands an excess of heat to render motion possible. A lung, therefore, is placed within their body and is fully supplied with blood heat. These creatures are, after a fashion, land and water animals in one. For, so far as they are inhalers of air, they resemble land animals while they resemble water animals in having no feet and in deriving their food from the sea. So also seals lie halfway between land and water animals, and bats halfway between animals that live on the ground and animals that fly, and so may be said to belong to both kinds or to neither. For seals, if looked on as water animals, are yet found to have feet, and if looked on as land animals are yet found to have fins, for their hind feet are exactly like the fins of fishes. Their teeth also are all of the sharpened interfitting kind as in fishes. Bats again, if regarded as winged animals, have feet, and if regarded as quadrupeds are without them. So also they have neither the tail of a quadruped nor the tail of a bird no quadruped's tail, because they are winged animals, no bird's tail, because they live on the ground. This absence of tail is the result of necessity, for bats fly by means of a membrane, not by means of barbed feathers, and no animal, unless it has barbed feathers, has the tail of a bird, for a bird's tail is composed of such barbed feathers. As for a quadruped's tail, it would be an impediment to an animal that flies. Chapter 14 Much the same may be said also of the Libyan ostrich, for it has some of the characters of a bird, some of the characters of a quadruped. It differs from a quadruped in possessing wings, from a bird in being unable to soar aloft, and in having feathers that resemble hair and are useless for flight. On the other hand, it agrees with quadrupeds in having upper eyelashes, which are the more richly supplied with hairs, because the parts about the head and the upper portion of the neck are bare. And it agrees with birds in being feathered in all the parts posterior to these. Again, it resembles a bird in being a biped, and a quadruped in having a cloven hoof for it has hoofs and not toes. The explanation of these peculiarities is to be found in its bulk, which is that of a quadruped rather than of a bird. For, speaking generally, a bird must necessarily be of very small size, for a body of heavy bulk can with difficulty be raised into the air. Thus much, then, as regards the parts of animals. We have discussed them all, and set forth the cause why each exists, and in so doing we have severally considered each group of animals. We must now pass on, and in due sequence must next deal with the question of their generation and development. End of Book 4 
and end of on the parts of animals by aristotle translated by william ogle meta coordinated by david craig recording by jeffrey edwards